Welcome to a brand new episode of A Crew and Cast Pod with Adrian Taus. I'm Adrian Taus. This is a collection of conversations with people working in the entertainment industry about their life and work. It's been a while since the last episode and I'm very excited about my guest today. It's Izzy Mant. Izzy is a TV comedy producer who is responsible for shows such as... Deep breath. Harry and Paul, Toast of London, Cuckoo, The Windsors, Peep Show, yes, Peep Show, and now the new series of Game Face on Channel 4. Izzy has recently stepped into the limelight herself as a stand-up comedian and is taking her debut show Polite Club to the Edinburgh Finch Festival this year. I talked to Izzy about her journey into producing TV, the transition into stand-up comedy, and finally asked the question on everyone's mind, what does a producer actually do? But before we get started, Izzy asked me to clarify something. So Adrian, I came on your podcast and I talked about how Roisin Connerty is one of the finest comedy writers in this country. And uh, rudely, whilst giving her this compliment, said her name wrong because... I just, you know, I used to just know her as a comedian off the telly and I decided her name was Rusheen Connerty and that's just what her name's always been to me. And then I was working with her for, ooh, 12 weeks before she told me, that's not how you pronounce my name. Uh, and as someone who worries about politeness, this is obviously a real problem for me. Uh, so the correct way to pronounce her name is... Rosheen, like row your boat and Mr. Sheen. Rosheen. That was the, the real Roisin Connerty telling us how to really pronounce her name. So if you could just maybe every time I say her name in the podcast, maybe just replace it with me or better still replace it with Roisin saying her name. That would be brilliant. Thanks, Adrian. Here's my conversation with Izzy Mant. Enjoy. So thank you very much for being on the show. It's lovely to be here. Well, you very kindly invited us to your house a few weeks ago uh, for a film night. Uh, uh, me and uh, Vicky, my flatmate, who's going to be on this show as well very soon, and Cole Spector, who's also on this podcast. And yeah. we're at, at your house, and there's, uh, I noticed something, apart from your impeccable interior design taste. Well, of course. There were two BAFTAs on the bookshelf, and in between the two BAFTAs was a little plastic trophy from <laughs> an open mic comedy night that I host once in a while called Comedy Virgin. I mean, first of all, Adrian, you know, do you have to bring up the BAFTAs so early I mean, in I, this conversation? Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, it's embarrassing. Um, you know, I mean, we could talk about the BAFTAs, but... <laughs> I mean, now that I've brought it up, I think we have to at some point. No, okay, but pa- little a plastic trophy. Little... Yeah, yeah, well, I, I'm, yeah, I'm quite proud of that little yeah, plastic it's, trophy. It, it signifies a shift in your career at the moment, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's why I put it between the BAFTAs. I'm almost more proud of it than the BAFTAs because... No, you can't be. Well, it's different. It was well, it was more unexpected, I suppose. The because or the, the, comedy the, 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 the comedy versions trophy was unexpected because um, it was my first ever gig, and yeah. so I didn't. Oh, really it was have, the first ever. It was gig. my first ever gig. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So to win a little plastic trophy, even though it was like a one pound little thing. Yeah, of course. Was like a big deal. It meant thought, a lot oh, to me when I, I won this. that for the first time. It's yeah. a weird sort of. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a competition, people don't know, it's Comedy Virgins at the at the Cavendish Arms in Stockholm. It's every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And there's usually like 20 acts doing five minutes each, often for the very first time, and then new comedians. And then there's a little competition where people clap and cheer the loudest for the one they love the most that night. And to win this, especially on your first gig, is an amazing achievement. So, yeah, definitely better than the BAFTAs. I mean, it was downhill from there, you know. That yeah, was, well, that's yeah, my yeah. best gig. That's, uh, uh, <laughs> that's what kept you going, though. Yeah. 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 So what are the BAFTAs for? 
Uh, one of them is for uh, Harry and Paul, which yeah. is a sketch show, Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse. Mm-hmm. Which um, you produced. Which I produced. Um, so that was for best comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is an interactive BAFTA. So, oh. you know, you can talk to it. No. Um, <laughs> it's uh, It was for a, it was actually for a radio play, which people are always, people think I'm lying when I say I want a BAFTA There's for BAFTAs a radio for play, interactive cause... radio plays. Well, <laughs> Amongst all the interactive radio, play- yeah, we won for being the only interactive radio play that year. Great. No, um, it was for I think the category was innovation or something, oh. and it was in the interactive BAFTA. Well, that's a cool BAFTA, an innovation it's, BAFTA. Yeah, it's a great yeah, BAFTA. and it looks like a real BAFTA, like <laughs> Why unlike it? <laughs> unlike the Scottish BAFTA <laughs> oh, I see, or like yeah. the children's. That is BAFTA. a bit mean. Yeah. Why do they do that? I mean, the I children's know. BAFTA is that just smaller? I can't remember what so they all like looked like. Yeah, like a little baby BAFTA. Like a Hobbit BAFTA. So there was once a conversation on set of a TV show I was producing, and I won't name names. Oh, please um, do. No, I'm not going to, because they might not want me to. But um, it was very much a conversation in jest about, like, what's the worst BAFTA to win? As if, you know, anyone would be really... And everyone was like... Oh, is it a children's BAFTA? And then someone went, no, it's a Welsh BAFTA. And yeah, no, that's worse than a children's BAFTA. And then someone, not knowing that I'd won one, said interactive BAFTA. And then everyone agreed, oh, yeah, that's the worst BAFTA. I was like, oh, guys, I'm actually really proud. I hadn't won another BAFTA at that point. So I was, yeah. What a, what a, what a, an incredibly high status thing to be suddenly the worst at. <laughs> That's quite rare. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you're like in the in in the amazing achievement that it is. You're just still <laughs> at the bottom of that. Yeah, I'm aware that we've been talking for about five minutes, and I've said the word BAFTA probably about twelve yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel we should. <laughs> it feels a bit humble braggy. No, there's nothing humble about it. Fine. Well, you know, because I'm saying I, I won the worst BAFTA. Yeah, you, yeah, I think you leveled it out, and also with the plastic comedy trophy, I think you're in you're mm. in good nick there. You're fine. Yeah. So, um, so today uh, you you were in castings all day. Yeah. Um, casting for the for the new show. Can we talk about it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's the second series of Game Face, mm-hmm. uh, which is Conti's sitcom, which is very brilliant. Um, I mean, I, I had nothing to do with the first series, so I can speak about it as a, you know, just as a viewer and yeah. a fan. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's. I think she's one of the best comedy writers in this country. I think it's brilliant, and and she's such a funny performer, obviously. So yeah, it's delightful to be working on. Fantastic. It. Yeah. How is it for you now working with a comedian now that you're you're starting your comedy career as a comedian? Yeah. Well, I've I've found with a lot of comedians that I've worked with since I've been doing stand up, I've had to sort of like come out to them as a comedian. <laughs> sort of say, oh, I do this too. Obviously, not on your level. Um, but actually, Roshin was really lovely about it, and and came to see a preview of my show. Oh well, yeah, that's right, that. I was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I had no idea that she was going to turn up. And in fact, I've got a little sort of bit that I do if there's a latecomer, I do a bit. I'm basically a bit rude to them. Mm-hmm. And all I saw was the door open and this sort of blonde hair coming. I couldn't see who it was. <laughs> I, no, I had no idea she was going to come. So I had to go at her. And it was one of those waking up in a cold sweat in the middle of a, the night. Later I was like, oh, that was Roshi. <laughs> but that's a pers- perfect person to do it to, to do another comedian because she'll go with it and she'll yeah, support you. Yeah, she's very cool. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's also like, uh, it's interesting that you were sort of surprised that she, because I think like from, from my perspective as a comedian, I think anyone who joins this and starts doing this and takes it seriously you sort of welcome them with open arms because we all sort of want to share this thing. Like we're all very much aware how difficult it is. So if someone really tries, and especially if someone who's done other things before, 
it's like, I think it's really exciting to see. I always like that when, when people, like you, you see a lot of people that do it for the wrong reasons when they start out, I think. Yeah. It's a lot of like funny guys at the office who just kind of have way more confidence yeah. than anything else. And those you kind of like seeing to fail. If someone comes across, <laughs> that comes along with, with the right attitude and they're just like that drive and love for it, then you just instantly kind of, I think, friends because you sort of, I think there's, Jerry Seinfeld once said, oh, I can't remember, someone on Jerry Seinfeld's show once said that every time he goes to a party and there's another comedian showbiz party, they'll just be that for the whole night. It's just comedians yeah. gravitate towards each other. There's yeah. a certain mindset. Yeah, I definitely feel like I've joined a club. Yeah. Yeah, a club that I didn't realise existed or maybe thought I was in before, but I mean, I so wasn't, you know. So you <laughs> found is... your people. In yeah, it. yeah. And, and it, I've been surprised by people's reactions it seems strange to me now that I was so shy about telling comedians that I work with as a producer that I'm doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I was worried about, but actually everyone's been like, that's so cool that you do that, you know, and we know that, that you now know what it's like. Yeah. And so just as a you know, they don't care whether I'm any good as a comedian, yeah. just the fact that I've got up and done it. Yeah, because it, you got, see it now. You, you share yeah. something with them now that they can talk to you about in a very different way. Yeah. And I think it's different with actors. I think if you decided now to just be an actor, I think actors might have not responded in a similar way. Yes. The way I know actors, most actors generally, it's sort of more like you're stepping on my turf now as well. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, So when did you decide to, was that a conscious decision at some point to start stand up? Was Um, that something that's been lingering? Yeah, I think I was sort of, I was in denial. I mean, it had been sort of burbling away as an idea, but sort of as a joke that I would say to people, oh, maybe I, I could do this. Um, and then I, I did a course like a lot of people do, but I kept saying to myself and to other people, oh, it's just it's just an exercise because I've been mm-hmm. um, writing for a while and trying to write more. Um, so I said, it's just a, an exercise for my writing. It's a different yeah. way in to think about my writing. Yeah. It's not really about the performing. And then, of course, at the end of the course, there was a showcase. And I thought, well, I'll do the showcase because yeah. everyone else well, is doing the showcase. Yeah. Just join in, you know. Um, and then I got on stage and did my five minutes and went, oh, I, lo- I love it. I'm the center yeah. of attention. Yeah. It's so not like being a producer. <laughs> I-, I can be, you know, stupid and irresponsible and say things that are wrong and, you know, and it's funny and people and are laughing get and you know, get a response. And uh, I just thought, I love this. I'm going to, I'm just going to do a few more gigs, you know. So every yeah. time, I, yeah, yeah, every yeah. stage I got to, I was like, "I'll just do this, and then I'll stop doing yeah, it." Yeah, yeah. And then I finally had to admit, fluke. yeah, was, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I finally had to admit, no, I, I am doing this. I think that's you're describing probably most people's first experience. Do you think? But there's also a certain type. Daniel Aldred is one of those, one of my favorite comedians. As, as a writer, he's an amazing writer, and he just wanted to be a comedy writer when he started out. No intention of being performer. Uh, no interest in that at all. But he realized when he had to, he wanted to write for other comedians that he had to have the experience on stage because that's how you learn whether something's funny or not. You have to yeah. try in front of all these. So he started doing that almost reluctantly. And then same thing happened. He caught the bug and now he, he gigs all, he's been gigging for like six, seven years, like an amazing performer. And it, and there's, uh, so, so for you, it was more, or so you told yourself it was more for the writing. It was like a writing exercise, yeah. something to help you write. So. Do you rec- was there something about performance that interested you before? There must have been something. Yeah, I mean, I've never been a professional actor or anything like that, but um, I was uh, I was a dancer when I was a kid and a teenager, yeah. um, and so back then I loved performing. Um, and I think there's this bit of me that's the that's the performer. Yeah. Um, what did you love about it then? Was it the sim- same? Was it a similar experience? Um. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, I think there's a commonality to all kinds of performance. There's something about being on stage and connecting with an audience and it's, it's being a show off, isn't it? Really? I think no, if you've I got that it, well, element yes, of your course. personality. Yeah. But there's showing off in an interesting and engaging way and there's just showing off for attention. There's a difference. Yeah, yeah. I think if you have something to say, then showing off is the means to, to, to say it. But also yeah. like, so you started um, behind the camera. So like, I want to like, get a sense of, so you were dancing as a, as a child, but then you made the decision at some point to, when did you make a decision about the industry, whether you wanted to go there? Well, that's actually a really, I took a really rambling route into being a TV comedy producer. So, yeah. you know, I can tell you the short version or the long version. I mean, if I tell you the long version, you will edit it down. Let's uh, do the long version and edit it down. <laughs> um, so I wanted to be a theatre director. So when I was at university, I was directing plays. Um, and they tended to be funny plays. That's always been my taste. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I, um, hang on, I'm just going to have a bit of water. You can edit this bit out. No, that's the bit cold. I'll keep in. It's, a, yeah. it's mainly those things I'm interested in. It's like awkward it's silences. About, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, glugging of water. But then like, people know it's real. It's not like a polished exactly. thing. And I'm mm. sort of also sort of building up a, a Foley library. Um, right, yeah. Coughing woman. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Volume yeah. two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Free download on YouTube. Not volume one. No, I've done, I'm a bit I've done offended. But one. Where yeah. was I? Yeah, so I was, I was on the long story of how I became a. So you wanted to be a theatre director? I wanted to be a theatre director, came out of university, set up my own theatre company, did that for about three years. Um, but, you know, wasn't. <laughs> no one told me that if you're going to be a theatre director, what you need to do is have like massively wealthy parents. And, right, yeah, you know, they don't tell you that, do they? No, they don't no. tell you that. Um, so I was doing, you know, all sorts of weird jobs under the sun to to make men ends meet while I was doing this. And fund um, your uh, theatre company. And fund my yeah. theatre company. Um, and, yeah, it got to a point where I was like, okay, n- no one's going to pay me to do this, are they? <laughs> I've been going for a while and this is not happening. Um, and then I got a job at BBC Radio Drama. So I was still directing, but directing mm-hmm. radio plays. Um, which I did for a couple of years and that was really fun and I ended up doing an interactive radio play which we mentioned earlier where I won the worst kind of BAFTA um, and then uh, but I was doing all this time I was doing lots of script development yeah and I was also direct I was still directing live stuff but it was more comedy directing Edinburgh shows that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, alongside your BBC job or was that part of the BBC job uh, do you know it's so long ago I can't really remember the timeline now but yeah sort of before and after mm-hmm. and during I think that mm-hmm. those so you were a working years. director for- well working implies I was getting paid um, I mean I was yeah the Edinburgh shows I got paid like yeah. a token but a the BBC bit. job that was uh, oh yeah a, no in that yeah. sense yeah yeah the yeah. radio I was a working yeah. well the job title is producer yeah. but you you direct yeah, as yeah. well yeah um, and it's quite fun because you with radio the budget's so small and everything's so streamlined that you, you do get to be a sort of auteur yeah <laughs> you know yeah, of course, you, yeah. you, you, you work... have way more creative control yeah because there's no one else doing yeah, it. And, yeah. And, and when you're editing it's just you and the studio manager doing the technical side it must have been a huge learning curve yeah well it was really interesting actually adapting what i'd learned as a director um as a theater director into radio taking away that element of sight yeah and suddenly a lot cheaper a bit more imaginative yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so that was really fun, but not my thing yeah. long term. Um, but because of all the script stuff that I've been doing, um, I got a job after a while um, running the BBC's new sitcom writing competition. 
um, because they knew me at the BBC because I've been script reading for them for a while and I've been reading a lot of comedy scripts and writing reports and so they sort of, you know, they trusted my judgment on comedy scripts. I think we had thousands of entries because you only had to, on this particular competition, you only had to write the first 10 pages of the script. Oh, wow. So it was easier to, <laughs> to a... do that. So we had, I think, something like 3,000 entries. I'm surprised and... it's not more. Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't know, about 3, that, but quite that a lot. still felt like a lot when there was only three of us to read. Oh, them. three of you. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, you're glad it's only 10 pages. Then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you do actually, you know, you know, within the, you don't know within no. the first 10 pages whether it's going to be brilliant. You know if it's shit within the first 10 pages, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so you could weed out a lot straight away and then go, okay, these ones are worth looking at yeah. again. And then with the best ones, we then encourage them to obviously write the rest of the script. And yeah. then we narrowed it down to, I think we had three finalists and... We, I produced a reading of those three scripts and, and then we had a, a winner. That's a great crash course in, in like getting to know a sitcom format. Yeah, it was fantastic. And, and we got um, really good people to come in. We had a sort of week's workshop with the, with the I think it was the top three writers. Um, and, you know, that was a, it was a workshop ostensibly for them, but I was mm-hmm. sitting there, great. you know, when Armando Iannucci was giving his advice oh and going, you know, taking notes myself. Masterclass. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. That was quite a bit of a break, really, actually mm-hmm. getting that job. Um, and then I was in BBC Comedy and I saw what a comedy producer does and I'd had no idea. I thought it was like a theatre producer where they're like the money person. So, yeah, so here's the thing. I think a lot yeah. of people outside the industry, and I think I would argue many people within the industry, still don't know what a producer actually does. Yeah. Well, I, do you know... I have to answer this question a lot and I have a different answer every, like I have a different <laughs> metaphor every time. Depending on who you speak to. Yeah. Oh, you would just, I get bored of my own description yeah. of it. So. <laughs> yeah, I know you. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, okay, this is going to sound a bit pretentious, but I'm like the custodian of the joke. Yes. Um. So, so many, I mean, there's lots of different elements to it. There obviously is an organizational element, a sure. people management element. I think those are the things that people expect yeah. are part of the job. But it is a very creative job in comedy specifically. Job. Yeah. Well, you set the tone, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah, and you and you work. I mean, when it at its best, you work quite closely with the writers. So you, I feel like it's your job if you're doing it well. You understand the script better mm-hmm. than anyone apart from the writers. Yeah. Um, is it akin to something like a showrunner in the states? Yes, except that a showrunner will be the creator of the show usually, or yeah, yeah, yeah. or if not, they'll be they'll certainly be a writer. Um, yeah. So my job doesn't really exist in the states mm. because the, the term producer in the states on a sitcom would would be one of the writers in the writers' room, mm-hmm. but a more senior mm-hmm. writer. Um, so in a way, the fact that I've started writing in recent years makes me more would potentially make me more employable in America. You know, it makes, yeah, yeah, yeah. what I do now makes more sense to an American, whereas yeah. if they'd met me But do you feel like they're adapting ago, that system here slowly? I feel like it's a, yeah, it's a good it system that I think the writer's room and a creator of a show system works really well for TV, I think. Yeah, there are elements of the American system that I think are starting to come over here, but it will never be exactly like it works over there just because yeah. we don't... Their budgets are you know, sure, 10 times sure. ours. So, you know, we'll never be able to... I mean, people have done experiments with having a writer's room, but it tends to be quite junior mm. new writers. Yeah. You know, we don't have the budgets to put it's also 10 not been top writers in, a, yeah. in that way. So now you don't have a pool of people to choose from who do exactly that. I think yeah. that's partly the problem. Yeah, yeah. So then did you, so at that time, did you think of yourself predominantly as a writer? Or were no, you still seeing yourself a, as a... 
person running a sitcom competition. No, I mean, but that it's was, like what yeah. you felt like you were, apart from the official job description. Did you feel... I didn't like know you... what I was at that point. Right. I was like, well, I've, I'm still doing a bit of directing. I think I was still directing Edinburgh plays. But did, uh, did that make you want to write point. going through that experience? Or did that make you want to do something else? The, I think the writing was just a, a germ in the back of my head at that point. Yeah. Um, but I think um, the, the, the pre- predominant instinct at that point was oh this is what because I've been directing and I was so focused on that um but yet feeling like maybe it wasn't entirely me yeah uh, particularly in theatre such a, you know even if you're doing comic plays theatre you know this was this was in the like noughties mm-hmm. it was a very earnest world yeah, and everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. was very serious and I felt like I was just too frivolous alternative that very alternative yeah, at the time yeah right? Um, and you wanted to do comedy. And I wanted to do <laughs> yeah. comedy. So when I realised that, so being in BBC comedy, I was like, ah, this is, yeah. I could see what the producers did. And I thought, this is the bits of directing that I like without right. the bits that I don't like. This is perfect. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that sounds like, oh, and then I walked into it. It then took me three years from then to get into it. Sure, sure. Um, because it didn't matter what I'd done in theatre, in live comedy, in radio, in Which telly. Which is not in there Nobody cares. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what have you done in telly? That's yeah, all they yeah, care about. So I thought the only way I'm going to be able to do this is if I've got something that people want, if I've got some intellectual property that people want. Right. Um, so I just started reading a lot of scripts and made contact with agents. And, like I mean, finding a script to pitch and to... To pitch, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but also in the meantime, making little tasters, making sketches, just little bits and pieces yeah. to show that I so could produce something that was filmed, not just on right. the TV or on yeah. the stage. Uh, so I was doing those two things in, in parallel. Um, and then that took me three years of, of trying to do both of those things in various ways. Um, and it was really like, you know, you wait for a bus, that old mm-hmm. cliche. Two things happened in the same week after three years of trying. I mean, I was literally, I was about to give up. I was like, this is, I've been trying, I was trying for three years to be a theatre director. That didn't work out. And I did radio for a bit. Now I've been trying this for a while. I should just give up on all forms of storytelling jobs because mm-hmm. and admit that it hasn't mm-hmm. worked. That conversation you have with yourself. Different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really was about to give up. And then in the same week, I was um, a script where I'd been working quite closely with the writers and we'd put on a reading. Um, it, a pilot got commissioned for ITV2. And like two days after that, uh, I was offered to produce series five of Peep Show, which was my favourite wow. show on TV. Within the, within the week? Within the same week. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's that's almost like, it's a shame I don't believe in fate or anything like that, but that would be a perfect <laughs> example of... One last, like, give me a sign. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So that's that's often the case, though. It's very. I hear a lot of stories. Sasha Dewan, who was on this podcast, he told the story. He was like nineteen. He was a child actor for many years, and was like working actor. Then suddenly it dried up, and he sort of had a year or two where he's uh, working at his uh, at his dad's clothing shop, and it's just kind of you know, and gave up on on the dream. And then the casting for the History Boys came in. But yeah. just when he gave up on everything. It's, yeah. it's very strange how that happens sometimes. It is tempting to think somehow yeah. causally related. But, but then there's loads of other be. stories who are completely differently. And then it's... You know. Then there's the people who gave up and like should have given up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's but, people that... Let's uh, not yeah, 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 exactly. And there's people that, you know, then actually gave up and are now happier doing something else. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, yeah, Peep Show, like, as, I mean, we watch it all the time. It's one of those, like, I personally don't have any respect for anyone who doesn't like Peep Show. I mean, you're correct to, it's, to feel that way. Yeah, that's yeah. objectively <laughs> one of the best TV shows ever made. 
And over a huge period of time, which is unlikely for British TV anyway, to long that. So you jumped yeah. in at Series 5. Series 5, yeah. Well, I, sh- I should tell you actually how I got that job. Oh, it yeah, that would be interesting. Because it sounds a bit random yeah. that I suddenly yeah, landed I'm... this. Yeah. And it, well, it was like an episode of faking it. I mean, I hadn't... Yes, I'd been making little tasters and stuff, but I hadn't been on a TV set of that scale. Yeah, um, And suddenly I was the producer. So it sounds really yeah, yeah, jammy yeah, that, that I got this yeah. job. Uh, the way it happened was... And I, do, I, I go and give um, talks to schools and things like that every now and again. You know, these things were like, yeah. um, how can we get into the industry? Do you bring the, the BAFTAs to those? And you, They're you quite heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like uh, otherwise, obviously, I would. But, yeah. um, but uh, I do say to them... Don't do it the way I did it. The way I did it took forever and was really meandering and I didn't really know what I wanted to do for ages. Um, but the one thing that I think is useful from my experience that I always tell them is if you just tell people what you want to do and keep saying it, you sort of, that helps so much. You, you don't necessarily even need to sell yourself much beyond that. Um, I mean, yes, you need to be. No, but it gives them a very clear idea that that's what you are to them. Then, if you keep saying that, that's what they'll associate with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes that's such an obvious thing that I've never thought about. Yeah, and people talk a lot about you know networking and how to sell yourself, Ah. and you 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 meet a lot of young people who really the first thing they do is they come up and they go, I I made this short film and it was amazing, and again, you just sort of think, well, I'm sure it was. Let's say hello first. You know, also, I'm sure no short film was ever amazing. Well, some of them are, but yeah, but not not from topic. people who pitch it that way. Yeah, yeah, um, but actually, just just sort of calmly mm-hmm. saying, "This is what I want to do." Yeah. So what happened was, um, I kept meeting um, Sam and Jesse, who mm-hmm. who created Peep Show and write Peep Show, because I was meeting all you know, agents of comedy writers at yeah. this point, and my pitch to them was very realistic. It was like, "Okay, your top writers, you're not going to give me their scripts. They're very busy. I'm a new producer who hasn't produced anything yet. Why would you give me their scripts? But you know, you might have a newer client who you've taken on, or a script that you've sent to all the usual suspects, and nobody wants it. Send it to me. And you know, and mm-hmm. most of the scripts I was reading, I could see why nobody wanted it. You know, but uh, so my... you're basically saying, what have you got in the back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And every time I met Sam and Jesse's agent, I said, it was like a joke. I said, uh, Sam and Jesse uh, busy at all? Because I really like them as writers, uh-huh. you know. And they'd laugh and go, yeah, they're, quite, <laughs> they're quite busy. They're in demand. Yeah, you're fine. But here's something by one of our new writers and, you know, I'd read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then one time I said, for about the fourth time, I'd said to them, Sam and Jesse busy. And they said, actually, do you know what? We know you're a big fan of Sam and Jesse. And Sam's written, before Peep Show, he wrote this short novel, um, which was published, and it's funny. And uh, he's just always wondered, he was saying to us the other day, he's always wondered if he could do something with it, but he wasn't sure, is it a radio play? Is it a stage play? Is it a TV? You know, what could it be? And we know you've done a bit of, this is where it helped me that I'd had such a meandering career up to that point. Um you know, I could say, well, do you want it to be interactive? Because <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> um, and uh, But they thought of me because I'd said enough times that I was a big fan. And they said, do you want to read the book and just see if you've got any thoughts on, on what it could be? Uh-huh. Um, and I said, yeah, of course. So I read it and thought it was really funny. Great bit of writing, of course. And I thought, yeah, I think this could be a radio comedy series. And I know a bit about radio. So Sam liked the idea of turning it into a radio comedy series, didn't have enough time to do it all himself. So we we got on uh, Simon Blackwell, also a brilliant comedy writer. Um, So they were going to work together on it. I pitched it to Radio 4, who in their wisdom 
turned it down. Um, <laughs> there's a whole other story. <laughs> but it worked for me because I'd had, you know, a few meetings with with Sam and Simon where we'd been developing it and having these chats about it. So Sam knew from that, you know, what my kind of comedy taste was mm-hmm, and what mm-hmm. I was like to work with on stories and scripts. Um, and so when Robert Popper, who'd been producing the last few series of Peep Show, couldn't do series five and at quite short notice, they needed to find a producer, they thought of me. Um, and it just came from having that contact, yeah. you know, well, initially it came from just saying, I'm a fan of Sam. But then Jesse working with them on something unrelated and then, then yeah. they saw that, yeah, that makes complete sense now that yeah. why that would have come together. But yeah. if you had but of course, I didn't that, know that wasn't yeah, my plan. Exactly. It wasn't yeah. like... If I work on this, I'll end up producing yes. Peep Show. I and if no you idea, knew that was, that was yeah. like the test or like if you would have handled it probably quite differently if you knew that this experience would be like an audition to... Yeah. If you'd known that in your head, that wouldn't have been helpful at all. Yeah, no, I'd have been really yeah. nervous. <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. often like I, I sometimes don't like if I... I very rarely I go to like networking events. I usually, I'm usually dragged you know with to to actually you know adrian you should do like i almost don't want to know what people do sometimes yeah because then you feel like there's always that like i want to see if i get on with someone if there's like a creative vibe or whatever yeah because if you go into something thinking oh they can help me or they have something that i want then it's a really awkward and annoying way of getting to know someone yeah because everyone knows what's the subtext of everything yeah i think that's why networking events are inherently flawed Mm. yeah no i agree i think there's that thing of like you can tell somebody yeah. is just talking to you because they want something specific out yeah. of you. And, and they yeah. keep dropping little hints like yeah. the BAFTAs and things. And... <laughs> so, uh, so that was so peep show. So that must have been a, a, a huge step into. So that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. So and on a show that you're a huge fan of. So what was what was your role? Like, so it, like explain to me how to how you would produce peep show when you come into a series like fifth series. Yeah. So everything's sort of set up. Yeah, I mean, that was was probably, that was very different for me to anything I've done since, uh, partly because it was a fifth series of a show that was was going really, really well. Yeah. Um, So, you know, everyone and and most of the same heads of department were working on it. So it was a show that really knew what it was doing. Um, And secondly, I had not only never produced a TV show before, but I hadn't been a second AD or even a runner on a show of that size. Um, so I really felt like I need to get away with this. Um, I mean, it was, it was terrifying because it was also my favorite show. So I thought if I screw this up, I've screwed up my big break, but I've also screwed up my favorite show. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so I really was, was feeling the pressure, but, um, Phil Clark, who'd produced the first series and who was head of comedy at Objective, the production company was the exec producer. And he just said, I'll help you through this. And he was right. my mentor. And he talked to anyone in television comedy about Phil Clark and you will hear the same thing, like the nicest man in television. He's just a legend. Um, and he just really, he gave me great advice and really helped me through it. Great. That's, and, that's... And, and it was, you know, series five was really good. So yeah. it, like, my influence on it was not to screw it up. It somehow managed to stay good. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but also like, I, I think that, it's a great thing to go into a show where I mean it is working so you're not like necessarily challenged with like imagine if you were challenged with resurrecting a show that's doing badly or something you can actually enjoy making a great show and learn yeah. on that or a new show you know that's yeah. the hardest oh, exactly. thing to do is to yeah. a new show and it was really good because then the second thing I did 
was FN, which was the thing yeah. I mentioned earlier that I'd been developing with the writers and that got commissioned. Yeah. Um, and that was a new show. And it, I think I, I did a much better job on FN, given that I'd done Peep Show before. Because now you can focus on big picture stuff more because you know how to now run a show and produce a show. You don't yeah, have I mean, to. I think saying I know how to do no, it was but a bit like strong. It's... I've only done it once, but it puts, you know, you keep yeah. learning, but but I knew twice as much as at least. as. Were you ready for the yeah. next step of, of the of the difficulty scale, I yeah. suppose? Yeah, yeah. And so then, so what came after that? I think the next thing I did was, um, oh, I did three uh, little crackers, mm-hmm. which are the sky shorts. Yeah. And that was, again, working with heroes, because um, the three I did were... So they're little autobiographical short films on on Sky um, by comedy legends. And the ones I did were Kathy Burke, Catherine Tate, and Dawn French. Oh, so great. It was like, oh, wow. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. That was brilliant. Um, there must be then, at times in your in your career where, where you've had to sort of meet your heroes moments. Oh God, yeah. Well, the next thing was Harry and Paul. Well, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm. So, how do you deal with with meeting someone? Obviously, it's a professional environment, but you you kind of have to somehow mention it. Otherwise, you like you know what I mean. Like, how how do you approach that kind of thing? Yeah, do you know what? When it works really well, like the aim is to forget that they're your hero. Yes. Um, to be so focused on the show that it's not about the personal relationships. Mm -hmm. Um. So, for example, when I started working with Harry and Paul, I mean, you know, they are so brilliant, but also they're people I grew up watching. So, mm-hmm. that, you know, there's that extra level of, mm-hmm. of I'm not worthy when it's, it's someone... It's bigger than life. If, yeah. If you, if you know someone for that long, it feels like you have a relationship with them. Yeah. It's almost like family. Yeah. It's just you've never really met before up until that point, but there's so much you sort of feel like you know. Yeah. So there's a warmth there that's, you know, maybe one-sided when you meet someone for the yeah. first time, which can be weird. Yeah, yeah. But um, then also if you work with them, so that that must be so doubly exciting to then work with someone like that and create that together. Yeah. And I was stepping into, when I did Harry and Paul, I was stepping into huge shoes because mm. um, Jeffrey Perkins had produced the series before and he very sadly died during the edit of the of the series mm. before, um, so you know the, the pressure there as well that somebody mm. who's such a brilliant and legendary producer um, to be then doing the next series after that. I thought you know obviously want to do as good a job I can as I can and working with Harry and Paul. You know there was a lot of things that made it quite high pressure, and I did think how will I get over the fact that when I, you know, I'd get a sort of weekly call from Harry and Paul, they'd work together writing in an office and they'd call me in about once or twice a week and say, right, come over. We've written some sketches. (laughs) And I'd sit there and they would, Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse (laughs) were performing just to me, an audience of one. And they go, what do you think? Um, Because the only way to understand a Harry and Paul sketch is to have them perform it. So it's not just reading the script, it was them performing it to me. Um, And the first time that happened, I thought, I'm never going to get over how like weird and amazing this is. (laughs) And and I'm just going to sit here and go, it's brilliant from everything. Um, And uh, but then it's funny how you just with time, you you do become so focused on the show and you forget mm-hmm. all of that and you, know, you do have to make some also you realize that they're professionals so they they have a certain method that they work with which is then fascinating to see because then you say oh no this is how you work this is how i work and then you start getting into that i think very quickly yeah because you know what you're doing so you just kind of um yeah i think that's the exciting part when you start really collaborating with someone i think that's 
always my favorite part of everything. Yeah. It's when you find someone where it just vibes and it clicks and you just work towards the same goal. Yeah. And then it doesn't matter who you're doing it with, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an, and it's an amazing thing to see very, very talented people do something well. Yeah. It's just always amazing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm curious about when you started making the shift or there must have been at some moment where you started thinking about performing. Well, that was really relatively recently. And as I said, it wasn't the initial instinct was, wasn't I want to perform. It was, yeah. I want to try writing stand up comedy, but as part of writing it, that involves performing it as well. You know, the emphasis was so you very wanted much to on write stand up. It, it, it was just if I try writing jokes that are not part of a narrative um, and tell them on stage or, you know, initially perform them to my fellow people on my course. Yeah. Um, that it'll be interesting. I might learn something about the structure of jokes. So it's just that's sheer different curiosity. To what I've already, yeah, sheer yeah. curiosity. Um, I really didn't think that the performing was what I was about. And then I just really enjoyed it. And yeah. Yeah. And I found it fascinating. I, I love, there's this sort of scientist in me that loves being able to test something out and yes. going, oh, if you change that one word, yeah. they laugh there. That's interesting. Yeah, it is, it is that, like yeah. a scientific process. Yeah. It's very much a survival of the fittest in terms of the jokes. What, what It either works or it doesn't. Yeah. And what works survives. Yeah. All the things we say on stage, and primarily because they're funny, Yeah. Uh, over the fact whether they're true or anything else. Like, if it's funny, you keep it. So, But then you got that bug from stand-up for the first time, then that that's just something you could have then just say, well, that's something I might do once in a while. But a lot of people do that. It's just, I don't have to. But it must have been so strong for you to now. Yeah, I think it ticks. I've thought about this a lot. I think it ticks a lot of boxes mm-hmm. in terms of being um, a, a producer. Being in control uh, of something? Like altered Yeah, so, sense. I mean, I love collaborating like the best and the worst thing about being a tv producer is collaborating <laughs> yeah. um, you know at its best it's fantastic but there's something so great about writing and performing stand-up where if it works it's entirely down to you and mm-hmm. if it fails it's entirely your mm-hmm. fault and mm-hmm. um that's just so different to producing where it's, it's the purest one of the purest i think of forms of uh, entertainment in that yeah and it's yeah. very it's very unsubjective because it's either funny in the room or it's not. Not everyone yeah, might find it funny, but the consensus don't. is always clear. Yeah. There's no grey area. Yeah. Um, so um, so then when you started doing stand-up, did you... Because a lot of comedians go through that when... The, what's the first five minutes about? Like, what, what do you... What was the first thing you felt to communicate? What was your first five minutes about? Um, it wasn't about anything. I think like a lot of people, it was a string of unrelated observational jokes that had made people laugh in my course. So you, you what's know, the like, first um, joke you remember that that's your first joke where I go, Oh, that's, that's the best joke I've written so far. Do you have one? Oh, uh, do you know what? I, I have remembered now because yeah. I remember everyone on the course when I was trying to decide what to do in the showcase, they were all like, you've got to do that bit. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and that was, God, I just struggled to remember it now, uh, but it was something to do with, I remember them all saying, you've got to do the massive coin bit. That was the phrase that made them laugh, <laughs> out of context. I mean, uh-huh. thanks for laughing, but it's just a, it's just. It's already a great premise. I'm um, already curious as to what it's about. It was something about, I've remembered it. Yeah. It was 
so when I did my course, when I first started doing stand up, it was not that long after um, Trump had been elected. Yeah. Um, and I don't really do any- Great time to start stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that was part of, <laughs> let's add that to the list of things that needed something to laugh about. Um, I mean, Brexit as well, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, it's all gone happened. to shit. I might as well do stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I was quite riled about um, the way that people say, they're all just as bad as each other is a really common phrase that you hear. Um, and I just went on this little rant about people who, you know, do these people think that all sorts of things are just as bad as each other, you know, they go around comparing stuff. Like, do they think that finding a spider in your pret sandwich is as bad as finding a human leg in your wardrobe? You know, <laughs> things like this. So it's just lots of comparisons like that. And the last one was, do they think that failing to win money on a scratch card is as bad as having all of your skin slowly scraped off your body with a massive coin? <laughs> um, and it just tickled everyone in the group. They were like, you've got to do that <laughs> bit. So that was a horrendously violent image. Yeah, yeah, they got no more reason. and more. And, and I changed it every time I had a whole different list. And I think right. I settled on three of them that worked I think best, this is one but... of the last things that we expect you to say, seeing you on stage. And I think that might be why it's so funny. Because you you say something that doesn't match what you look like and how you come across. Yeah, that's what I started to. I mean, you know this when you when you're first starting out doing stand up comedy, people mm -hmm. people tell you what you're like in yeah. a way that hasn't happened since you were a teenager. And oh yeah, and in a very themselves. unprovoked, like unsolicited way, sometimes. Yeah, people yeah. tell you how you come across. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at first you're like, oh, is that me? And then you think, no, I'm going to embrace this. It's important this is, to know. This is you my need thing. that information. Yeah. It's, yeah. If anything, we, I remember we had like a bunch of comedians who were sitting around and we played the game of let, let's reduce everyone's act or everyone's personality to one word. <laughs> and it came round, I don't know, you know, coy or whatever, blah, yeah. blah. And then it came to me. And then I think it was Ross Smith just said tragic. Thanks. <laughs> Tragic. That's not, that's that's hopeless. That's not even something I can. I've seen your act. I wouldn't describe it. as No, tragic. I don't think it's. But that hit me hard. That yeah. was like, oof. That ah, wow. So you find out how people perceive you, and then you you try and get under it. You try to play with that. How did it evolve from there? When you started to get personal, when you started telling people about you, what was that? Yeah. Like? Well, I think that sprung from people telling me the way they think I come across. Mm -hmm. Um, me thinking, well, I'll I'll just play with that more. Um, and people said exactly what you've just said, you know, that I sort of seem quite grown up and well behaved and polite. The word yeah, you look like you got your shit together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so if I swear or say something, have some kind of graphic, violent image yeah. like that, it's so unexpected that it makes yeah. people laugh. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I'll. I, I didn't think of myself as someone like that. So at first I was quite annoyed. And actually that's yeah. now become part of my act is like being annoyed by how people see me as polite. Yeah, people in your Edinburgh show, which we'll talk yeah. about in a minute, that comes through very much as you trying to like reverse that stereotype and trying to fight actively against it. Yeah, and I realised that has been a thing through my life that people quite often say to me, particularly people I work with say things like, I bet you were head girl at school. And it's yeah. always really annoyed me because I'm like, no, I was bullied at school. Like, I'm really yeah, yeah, proud exactly. of the fact that yeah. I was an outcast. It's not like you know? if it's, it's better than how you feel. It's like the opposite of what yeah. you actually feel like. Yeah. Which is, yeah. yeah. I get the same thing. I think it used to annoy me for a long time as well. Yeah. Like you get, you don't get to be self-deprecating. Like I don't get to be self-deprecating a lot, I think, yeah. because I look quite smug. <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't work. They don't see me the way I see myself. Yeah. So then it is initially annoying, but then you try and work with it and then you sort of get under the joke. So when you, so what was the first thing you started to, as a theme to play with? Was it the politeness? 
Yeah, I think it was politeness. Yeah, I think it was quite early on. Yeah, I mean, that's become a much more... um, Before it was just a thematic link between my material, whereas now it's an overt, you know, Mm -hmm. when my show is called Polite Club and I make a big deal about whether I'm polite or not. Um, But yeah, that that was the journey I started to get. In fact, one person who helped me to... To see that was uh, Paul Whitehouse, who came to one of my gigs. He and Harry he did. both came. Oh, my God. Um, That's nice. Yeah, it was, it was lovely. I it bet was they also, sat all was, the way in the back. It was quite a small venue, so that yeah. wasn't possible. Oh, wow. That, that's <laughs> um, even more of a compliment, to show up in an intimate venue to yeah, support you. Yeah, it was my first 10-minute set as well. I'd only been doing five up it? to that point. Ten bells oh, in Spitalfields. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, it was just, you know, I invited them yeah. because it was... Well, I didn't really invite them, to you be honest. You must have done. So how did I they I told them that? that I was doing stuff because oh, I, I thought, yeah. I've got to tell them. You know, yeah, they're yeah, yeah. like mates now and, and yeah. who better to get advice from? And yeah. you know, I can't really keep it from them. Um, and I, I had lunch with Harry one time and I just fessed up that I was doing this. And, <laughs> you know, like everyone, as I was saying earlier, he was just like, that's brilliant. You know, yeah. he reacted really, really Maybe there generously. was part, part of it also like, I've got to see this. Just this yeah, curiosity. Yeah. yeah, so he immediately said, right, when are you on? Yeah. We're coming yeah, yeah, We're yeah. coming to see. It wasn't, it wasn't even <laughs> I'm coming. It was like me and Paul are coming. He knew Paul would want to as well. Um, and, uh, and I was like, oh, no, you can't, you can't. And then I thought, why am so, I telling him not to cut? I've got, yeah, no, of uh, course. Even you just have story. to compartmentalise that and work yeah, with that. Yeah. There was, uh, I remember it was, it was at the Cav once uh, where, you, where you want the trophy. And because it's a plus one, everyone has to bring a friend to perform. It's one of those nights. So we had uh, Jason Manford come in as a comedian's plus one who he was, was doing a show with and then obviously Jason Manford's in the room so all the comedians are starting to do their tight five <laughs> to impress Jason Man- obviously yeah. I didn't know so everyone doing tight five and I thought why Why are they it's a new material night Why is everyone doing-? so I did the most embarrassing set like I, I was telling a very personal embarrassing story I wasn't good at uh, as a comedian I wasn't good enough to pull that off and it was kind of tense and then bless him he, he talked to everyone afterwards he's really nice he put yeah. like Hundred pound behind the bar, and like oh, it was really him. sweet. And he talked to everyone except me because I think it's just so. I must have just weirded him out so much. Yeah. Which to this day I'm quite pleased with the fact that he'll probably that's the only memory he has of me. <laughs> but respect, you did bomb. new material at the new material night, you know. I, yeah, if sure. But yeah, there's always that fear when when someone comes to see your show. Yeah. If they're a friend or whatever who hasn't seen you before. Or someone from your family. That's like, what yeah. if this gig goes wrong? Yeah. It puts and it was my, I remember it was my 10th gig. Oh my as God. As well. So yeah. it was really early well on. Well done for like holding it together. Did it go well? I think so. I was, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to judge really. Cause I was just so, no, I remember listening back to the record. That's when you know, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you yeah. don't always know yeah. on the night, but I listened back to the recording and I think, yeah, that was, that was all right. I mean, they were really lovely about yeah. it, but they're really nice people. So they would, you know, you never know whether to trust no, you know, reaction, like if but, it goes yeah. really bad, there's almost nothing you can say. That's uh, that that doesn't sound. Yeah, <laughs> My, the, the way I ju- I've got a little trick now. Have I you? Probably shouldn't say this oh, on, no, a, on a podcast, but I've got a, a way that I can tell whether people are genuine in their yeah. praise or just being polite. Because I'm now an expert yeah. on politeness. Is if like the initial thing they say is identical, whether they really liked it or whether they're pretending to have liked it. If they're you know decent yeah. at, at lying uh, and acting. But the it's the follow-up. It's like, if they didn't like it, they'll say, oh my God, it was brilliant. I can't believe you were so amazing. And then they'll change the subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Whereas exactly. if they liked it, they want to keep talking about it. Yes, or if they That's mention something specific. Yeah. 
That can also be if they mention something really specific that wasn't that funny, then you know they're lying. Yeah, because they're grasping at something. If to they say. say they liked the lighting. Your the, shirt yeah. was. I, I like the shirt you were wearing. <laughs> so you said it was something you just wanted to do, and you had a curiosity about it, and then you caught the bug, and it was really exciting. And yeah. then at some point, it must have something must have kicked in. I said, I want to achieve something at that. Like you want to get to a level where you where you do it professionally. No, it wasn't quite. It wasn't quite that. Um, it was more um, that once I started writing material about politeness and once I realised that was my theme, I realised I just had a, a whole lot that I wanted to I just Right. It was having so something to So you felt like say. you had a show with that? It wasn't even... I, it, it was it was more unfocused than that. It was like, oh, I've just thought of all this stuff that I want to write down. It unraveled, and I, and I'm just going to write, and I don't know what it is yet. Yeah, I, I suppose I thought it was just a longer set, but I sat down and started writing in a way that wasn't like I'm going to do this at a gig tonight. It was just a longer. I just had all this stuff to spew out, um, and I wrote it all down over one summer, and. Uh, and then I sort of read it out loud to my, like timed it and realised this was an hour and a half show. <laughs> how long um, How long have you been writing this for? The that was that was over about a month that I wrote. Wow, but okay, it was yeah. stuff that had been going around in my head for a lifetime. You know, I, re- I just realised actually I, I've hit on this politeness theme just because, or I thought I'd hit on it just because people told me I seem polite yeah. and that makes people laugh. Yeah. But actually I realised there was something much deeper Great. than that. Actually it connected to so many things that have frustrated me through my life and things that I find funny, but also are not things that I really wanted to talk about. Um, and I'd started all the things that I've realised are sort of funny stories that I've told people and little anecdotes I've got about funny stuff that's happened in my life it, it all seems to connect to this theme of politeness mm-hmm. um so a lot of it was just writing down stories that i've told verbally um can i swear on this podcast uh, i would encourage it yeah yeah, yeah. Do you know, earlier on i was when i was talking about um peep show i found myself saying don't screw it up when the phrase in my head was don't fuck it up yeah you know but i just there's something in maybe it's the polite thing there's something in me it's like oh, I'm yeah being because recorded, it's not like it? you've been like for 10 years on a network where you can swear or something well i, do, I mean as a producer i do okay we're going off on a tangent here but as a I mean, producer on, i do have to have convers- fuck, right <laughs> i do have to have conversations with compliance and oh, really? lawyers and all of that yeah, about of course, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I'm on the side of going. We want to keep the swearing in. Obviously, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> um, so. I have to have those arguments. That's about, an interesting like, why battle it's justified. with compliance. I think because often, I think sometimes in America it's even stricter. Obviously, and there was there's a, a writer I can't remember who it was talked about how it actually improved the notes from 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 what's it called here um, compliance actually mm. helped the joke because the swear word wasn't as funny as the substitute that they had to come up with. So it made it into a more creative, better joke in the end because they couldn't swear. Yeah, no, that occasionally happens. And, and we, with lawyers as well, not just compliance. It's more often annoying with compliance. Forgive me, BBC and Channel 4 compliance, you're wonderful people. But, um, they know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I found really the, the conversation with the lawyers where it can be initially frustrating. You know, they mm. say... So I have this particularly on... Um, a sitcom that I produced a couple of series of called The Windsors um, because we were talking about real people. I mean, Oh, yeah, you know, that must have been a nightmare. When you Did say you have Fergie, to that is clearly we're talking about... Well, it obviously all had to go past the lawyers. But, you know, there is a particular thing with the royal family that, you know, there's a sort of tradition that they don't really speak. If any yeah. satire is done about them, they don't 
they don't respond to it. Yeah. And so in a way, the lawyers were saying, well, we have to be extra careful to make sure that we're not, um, that we're not slandering them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That this is what I was going to say. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a kind of, quite a useful create sometimes you get a lawyer who um as well as knowing their stuff about what counts as defamation and all of that mm-hmm. has a sense of humor enough that right. they get what you're trying to do with the joke yeah so you can have quite a good conversation instead of them just saying you can't do that yeah they say oh i see this is what you're trying to do so laws create if you did it this well. way it might be all right yeah yeah to create, so if you creative. can it's very yeah. creative yeah to be a lawyer with a sense of humor it's all wording it's just how really... it's just interpreting words that's yeah. what it is right. By the way, i'm a huge fan back. of the windsors i think it's Thank an you. amazing i love love it a lot and especially because it takes a, it's a tightrope because it all this like i'm not particularly connected to the royal family because i didn't grow up in the, i'm not I'm not british so to me it's different but yeah. i see I, I kind of like i like them i think they're interesting i don't think you say anything in the show or even imply anything in the show that isn't something the public already assumes whether yeah. or not it's uh, true or not it's the public assumption it's not Anything that we haven't even like thought about before. A lot of the time, the the way because we do get away with a lot of the Windsors. Yeah. A lot of the time, we the the argument that we can use quite validly, I think, is that what uh, what happens in the show and the things that we're saying about the characters is so extreme and so silly that no one would believe we were actually suggesting right. that. Yes. So like Prince the Harry, the uncanny valley, yeah, effect. Prince Harry in the show actually can't read yeah, yeah, yeah. so we're not just saying oh, he's a bit stupid um we're saying he cannot even read a word like yes, a word like clearly hat, not true you know? yeah but so in the same like, way it t- totally makes sense yeah, yeah. and but it, it, what it means then is that that's, also the gypsy thing the whole gypsy yeah. thing is amazing yeah and it's a, a parody a of how they're seen it's not a parody yes. of the real people it's a parody of how the tabloids portray them also it's a cartoon they're like it's like an animated show it's yeah. amazing like the performances are outstanding yeah it's such a well like this i love something that goes like leans in a hundred percent into something it's a huge risk that show as a concept yeah. for that to work out it's like lightning in a bottle it's amazing when every aspect of it just fits together yeah it's the same with peep show that's an impossible show to like if someone pitched me the idea of like just point of view cameras helmet cam like I wouldn't like something you have to just see and then it works yeah. or it doesn't. Yeah, and a lot of that is about. I mean, apart from the writing, obviously, the most important sure. thing um, it is about casting. When you mm. get that magic combination of of part and actor. Yeah, I mean, so many people think that um, that David and Rob write Peep Show because they're so right in yeah. those characters yeah, that exactly. people sort of can't imagine that it's yeah. separate writers. Yeah, so you so you're now in a position though where you you started you, you're doing an Edinburgh show this year. You're doing a first solo show. Yeah. Um. After um and and still producing you're producing a show at the moment. Yeah. Um. You said that that's a huge amount to to deal with. I just alternate. Uh, I have two different lifestyles. And so I just you go in and out them. of yeah. Well, like every three months or so. What's the uh, well, a series from a TV series from beginning to end will take me usually five months from the beginning right. of pre-production to the end of the edit. Yes. Um, when I'm filming, which is usually six weeks for a six, six episode sitcom, there's no way I could gig in that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, just because I can't do anything hours. other than, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I might do a few gigs during pre-production and, and maybe a little bit more during post. Mm-hmm. So then you're going to take the month off for Edinburgh, obviously. Yeah. And yeah, so I finish be... on this job in mid-July, so then obviously late July is going to be back-to-back previews yeah. and rehearsals and I'll be back into comedian mode. So um, so I think we need to um, properly pitch the Edinburgh show. 
Who are we pitching it to? So I, ho- I have no idea who's <laughs> listening, by the way. I think How I have an eclectic... How many listeners do you have? Do you, I don't do you know. know. I don't get... check. No, I've got like... I think there's a, like a thousand or something that I've... Um, the last one. Yeah. There's like a two-year gap. I haven't been doing it because I just collect these. As, these are... You can access them, the conversations I have with people. I don't yeah. actively... So uh, it'll be... It'll be people, probably comedians now, or not comedians that yeah. listening to this. Yeah. At the moment, not everyone in the comedy world, other than people I've worked with as a producer, know that I'm a producer. This is, this is now me. I've done my coming out to the people I work in, in work with in telly. Yeah. This is now me coming out to the comedians that I'm also a TV producer. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Do you reckon you're going to get a lot of like elevator pitches at comedians' birthday parties now? <laughs> Please no. That's just me. Would saying you encourage now. people to send you their um, their sitcom scripts? Genuinely no. That sounds awful. <laughs> Genuinely no. I, I would have like a few years ago, yeah, but because I used to be developing, but but because I'm focusing on my own writing, yeah, yeah, now, yeah. I'm like really, being really yeah. selfish about it, yeah, and I don't yeah. actually have time. I don't yeah. have time to be a comedian and a jobbing <laughs> producer, yeah, and also develop new projects no. at the moment okay so the edinburgh show uh tell us where it is tell us where it's at so it's going to be at underbelly in a room called dexter which is on bristow square yeah um and it's going to be at 2 50 in the afternoon oh that's a good time very slot civil, for your like, show. very polite time yes of day. that's a good that's a good time slot for your show yeah although um, not i mean in edinburgh 2 50 is a very different time of day to in the Real world. So some people that might still be up from the night before. Also, some, some people that's when that's when you have your first pint. I think it's yeah. about two fifty in the I afternoon. I hosted a show at two fifty or two thirty in the afternoon a couple of years ago, and it was um, a headlining act and two acts before, and I was hosting it. And most of the people we found out after show two were here waiting for the Elvis impersonator that was on <laughs> after us. So they had no interest in comedy, and it was yeah. a beer hall. It's Frankenstein's. Yeah. So that was a that was a not that that's going to be anywhere near the experience that you're going to have. Well, we'll see. No, it'll be great. So yeah. I've, seen, I've seen the preview. I'm really excited about seeing it in Edinburgh. Thank you. Uh, it was a great, great, it was such a tight, it's a fun show to come and see. Um, so that's going to be in Edinburgh. Um, and then, well, I don't know how to end these things. <laughs> With listeners, Adrian and I are having a really awkward silence right now. Like full it's eye for contact. The, it's for the Foley compilation silence. again. Yeah, I just need to get some room tone. Thank you very much for being on the show, Izzy. Thank you for having me. It's uh, been fun. Great. Thank you very much. I'm going to have some food. Roshin.